Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. Steve is not one for uh, long introductions, but I got to say a few things about Steve Nicholson. We're glad he's here. Aren't we glad he's here? Why don't we welcome Steve? Thank you to Steve and the guys that are with him. Um, So Steve has been with the Vineyard since 1985, right? He led the church planting task force for over 20 years. He's been uh, doing church for over 45 years. He's now pastor emeritus at Evanston Vineyard, which he started many, many years ago. And he's glad to be moving into the next phase of his life. But just, you've heard me talk about Steve before. Um, Steve loves the church. Steve loves to equip the saints. Steve loves to come and do things like this. He's connected to our church, and we're very grateful. One thing that stands out, and the young people, I want you to listen to this. Steve told me 30 years ago, he said, I want to make one of my life's aims to be a footnote in as many people's stories as I can possibly be part of. And that is Steve. Steve is in the footnote of many, many, many life stories all over the country, all over the planet. So make that your ambition, that in humility, you will serve and lay down your life and invest everything that you've got in other people. That's Steve. So we're grateful. Steve, why don't you come and talk about spiritual uh, warfare with us? Good evening, everybody. It's great to be back. You've changed your name since I was here last time. <laughs> huh? Yeah. And, uh, you know, but it's really good to see a lot of the same faces as well as some of the new faces. Uh, it's really great to be here again. Uh, it's starting to feel like family. Yeah which is what we want. So tonight, I want to wake you up and alert you to what I think is a a kind of secret hidden war that is being waged against you without your knowledge. Now the scripture is very clear. We have an enemy. Satan and his various powers of darkness, they hate the church of Jesus. They hate God's people. In fact, they hate anything made by God, especially anything that reflects his image. So it's not just believers they hate. They hate the unbelievers too. But they especially have it in for churches and believers. 
Because the powers of darkness know that the greatest threat to their kingdom on this earth are healthy churches. They know that the living church of Jesus is a constant testament against their lies that might makes right and there is no hope of a glorious future. Because our message is might doesn't make right and there is a glorious future. So they desire to destroy the church. And of course, the simplest way, if you think about it, strike the shepherd, scatter the flock, then pick off and destroy the families and the individuals one by one. And the truth is, the enemy has made several attempts to do exactly that in this congregation, in the past, over and over. And many have been scattered and many probably destroyed along the way. And of course, even though he attacks leaders the most, because that has the biggest impact, trying to say, I'm not gonna be a leader, doesn't get you off out, of the, out of the war. There are no civilians in this war. Only soldiers, all believers, get attacked. And Jesus made it very clear, the intent of our opponent. In John 10.10, 10, he says, the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. That is his intent. Now, in my very nearly 50 years of ministry, I've seen glorious things. I mean, I can't even remember some of the glorious things that happened because there were just too many. Um, so many glorious things. I've seen things I can't even tell because nobody could believe them. But I've also seen a lot of good leaders and a lot of good people and even my friends taken out destroyed, sidelined, limited, giving up their dreams, walking away because of the warfare that was waged against them. And here's the thing, and this is why I'm talking. Most of the time, they didn't even realize they were a target until it was too late. They didn't even fight back. They just like stood there and got killed and destroyed. You know, Brock's mentioned that I coached the church planning effort for 20 years. And the thing that church planters were never ready for, no matter how many times we told them, was the spiritual attack that they would endure. We'd tell them ahead of time, but they didn't believe us. And then they'd go out and plant a church and they would say, the one thing I wasn't ready for was the spiritual attack. I said, yeah, we tried to tell you about that. And you know, the thing about this these days is you can find hundreds of books about 
how to lead a different way and how to organize your church a different way and how to posture yourself a little differently and how to market your church a little bit more so people will come back. But very few seem to take seriously the dimension of spiritual warfare that's actually the cause of most of our failure and disappointment. And I believe probably it's a pretty safe bet. Pretty much all of you here in this room tonight, you've been attacked at least at some point in the past by the forces of darkness. And some of you are even now under serious and sustained attack. The scriptures are really clear. Ephesians 6, uh, verses 11 to 12. I think, are they going to put it on screen? I don't remember if they did that. Ephesians 6, 11 to 12. Put on the full army of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. All right, so the whole thing here, the concern is that you not get wiped out, that you stand against the devil's schemes. And then he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Read it again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly, that is, the spiritual realms. You know, sometimes it may seem that our struggle is against certain people, but it's not. It may seem that our struggle is against secular culture, but it's not. Those are only the visible manifestations of the struggle. The struggle against the powers of darkness, as he says, not flesh and blood, not spiritual powers. Our enemies are not other people. Our enemies are spiritual, and so we need to be prepared and ready so we can stand against the devil's schemes, which is to say you can stop it. You can prevent it. You can do something about it. First Peter 5, 8-9. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your face. Same theme as before, stand firm. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Everybody gets attacked, but we can resist. We have the means, we have the power to overcome. If you look in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, I have given you authority and power over all the power of the evil one, and nothing can injure you. But here's the thing, folks. It's not automatic. It's not like you just have 
immunity that you carry with you and it's just automatically protecting you in a kind of passive way all the time. No, it doesn't have that way. You have to be alert and you have to be ready and you have to use the weapons of your warfare to resist the enemy's schemes. You actually have to do something. You can't just be passive. You have to do something to stop his attacks. Now, we need to understand his schemes if we're going to counteract them. And most of tonight, I want to kind of expose the schemes of the evil one. He, first of all, attacks us in our thoughts. The great battleground, the greatest battleground is between your two ears, in your mind. And of course, Satan's simple and most effective and most used approach has been used since Genesis chapter 2 onward, or 3, I guess it was. Genesis chapter 3, lies and half-truths. Lies and half-truths. Especially the half-truths. Things are only partly true. He loves those. And these lies get introduced into our minds again and again and again until they become obsessive. And what he wants is for us to own the lie. You understand? Begin to believe the lie. Because when you begin to believe the lie, then he's got power over you. Generally, these are lies like this. God doesn't really love you. Nobody else in the church would love you if they actually knew the truth about you. You aren't really that effective in ministry. I don't know why you even try. You're never going to amount to anything. You know, God's not really working in your life. God doesn't answer your prayers. You're not truly called by God. That person doesn't really like you or accept you. You're not really forgiven. You're not really qualified. And on and on it goes. Do any of those sound familiar to you? The intent, of course, is to get you to give up, to get you to quit, to get you to surrender. You know, back in the 1980s, which is before an awful lot of you were even born, but it still happened. John Wimber was traveling around the world introducing people to the Vineyard's approach to power ministry. And he would do these massive conferences and, you know, first it was in the United States, but pretty soon he started going to other countries and the first country he went to was in the United Kingdom, England, Scotland, Ireland, those places. And the way he would do a conference, these conferences, he'd meet in the middle of the week and he'd have a really big venue and there'd be like two, 3,000 church leaders, pastors and church leaders would come during the middle of that week. And he would invite different vineyard churches to send teams to be a part of the ministry team, the prayer team 
for that conference. And so we'd say, he'd have 20 people from this church and 15 people from this church and 20 people from that church, and we'd all go all together. Everybody paid their own way, and we paid our way to go, and we went to be a part of the prayer team, and there'd be like 400, three or 400 people on the prayer team. So when people say they traveled with Wimber, you should not think in your mind that means they were in the same car. <laughs> they were on one of those groups. There were literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people that got involved in that at some point. But here's the thing. We'd get to these things. Now, almost every time we saw visible miracles. I mean, we saw incredible things. We saw the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see. All of that stuff we saw. Thousands of people being incredibly touched, turned inside out by God. But inevitably, there would be an attack against someone on our team. And the way the attack would go was, nobody's getting healed when you pray for them. I don't know why you even came. You shouldn't even be here. In fact, the people on your team don't like you. And it would just go like that. And the next thing you'd know, this person on your team is, instead of being down front, praying for everybody, they're hiding in the back corner. One vineyard pastor got so overcome. I mean, he was a pastor, of all things. He was so overcome by this kind of lie, he actually went back to the airport, got on a plane, and went home. Because he, be, he became convinced that because John Wimber hadn't gone out of his way to say hello to him, that he didn't want him to be there. Never mind the fact that there were 5,000 people in the room. It was delusional, you see, but there's a kind of a deception that comes. And it would happen every time. So the remedy was this. We started warning people. If you're going to come with us on this trip and you're going to be on our team, you need to understand that there's a good chance you're going to be attacked by the evil one. And this is what it's going to be like. And here's the deal. You have to agree ahead of time right now that if you start having those kinds of thoughts in your head, you will tell someone. Just that. You will tell someone. Instead of hiding in the back corner, you'll tell somebody. And of course, here's the thing. They would tell somebody. That person would like throw up the red light. Oh, so-and-so's under attack. We'd all jump on them like bees on honey and pray for five minutes. And we'd pop that thing like pop on a soap bubble. I mean, literally five minutes of prayer and it'd be gone. Done not to return for the whole rest of the time. So it was easy to beat. You understand? This is what I want you to understand. The enemy's attacks are easy to beat, but you have to tell somebody and they got to pray. You got to do, you got to use your weapons. You know, over the years as a pastor, I was subjected to many very intense mental attacks. And I would even know that they were mental attacks, but sometimes so powerful, I could not fight them off by myself. 
And that's, that's the thing you, you must understand, that one of the big reasons we need to be together is because we can't actually win this battle fighting alone. Like, we, we need to be able to tell somebody. And so, like, it would ha whenever that would happen, I just had a few people that I could call up, and all I had to say was, you know, I'm under really bad negative mental attack today. Pray for me. And then about 15 minutes, 30 minutes later, it would all be gone. Boom. Just like that. Interestingly, since I retired, it doesn't happen to me anymore. Not as much anyway. It, 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 it sort of, the guy that took my place, Ted Kem, he's getting it now. <laughs> Sometimes Satan even attacks our mind in a way that causes us to feel like we're having a mental breakdown. Like we can't think straight. Like we're confused. He can bring like a cloud in your mind. You can think, I'm actually really losing my mind. There was a one point, a lady in my church came up to me and she had friends who were part of another denomination and, and uh, they were missionaries in South America and she said, uh, they've come back because they, are, they had some kind of weird mental breakdown and they're back here in Chicago and it looks like they're never going to be able to go back to the mission field because they can't figure out what's wrong with them. And I wondered if you'd pray with them. And I said, sure, let me ask you a couple of questions. And I asked them, I said, do they feel really confused? Yeah. Do they feel like they can't think straight? Yeah. Do they feel this kind of black heaviness over their mind and their spirit? She, they, she says, yes. And I said, yep, bring them. I can fix that. So they brought this, this couple, and they knew nothing about spiritual warfare. I mean, nothing. They were just like, you know babies in the war and so there they are and so I started praying and I, I, I felt like the Lord said break a curse against them and command the demon attacking them to leave so I did that and as I'm attack, commanding this demon of confusion to get off of them all of a sudden the guy starts like jerking up like up onto his tiptoes like something's being pulling him up towards the Ceiling, and then all of a sudden there's this pop, pop. You could hear, hear this pop. Everybody heard this pop. And then he looked around and he says, it's gone. It's all gone. It was just completely gone in an instant. Like popping a soap bubble. Okay? But somebody had to use the weapons of our warfare to bring it to an end. Sometimes he attacks us through the twisting and deceitfulness of our emotional reactions. He loves to take our injured pride or our disappointed expectations or our comparison and competitiveness. Oh, you're not as good as so-and-so. Oh, you should have got that spot. They should have asked you to do this. Why, don't, why isn't this happening? And he likes to take that stuff and turn them into bitter roots in your heart that will poison all your relationships and poison any potential you have 
and even your connection to the church. We need to beware of any sense that we have of we are entitled to something. We are only servants, entitled only to love our neighbor as ourself and obey the Spirit as best we can. We're not owed anything else. Hebrews 12 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In our time, because of the failures of many church leaders, which could probably be attributed in many cases to the warfare against them, many other people have gotten bitter roots that are destroying their faith. James 3, 14, James says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. He calls it very clearly. It's demonic. Satan will try to stir up in us envy and selfish ambition over various things. I mean, we could probably all tell stories of exactly that happening in church life. Because what? We're full of, it's, I mean, when you think about it, we're all sinners saved by grace. We got, oh, Jesus lets all, any kind of person come in the church. In fact, he goes out and looks for messy people to bring into the church, I think. You know, and he brings them back to us. And of course, there's trouble along the way. We must not let it turn into our own bitter roots when they disappoint us. You know, not every prayer you pray is going to get answered. Not every person you meet at church will treat you the way they should. <laughs> You're not going to get your way every time. The leaders aren't going to see it your way every time. I was the senior pastor of a church for 45 years, and it was really amazing how many times I didn't get my way. I never could get the worship songs I wanted. My worship leader's here. He still doesn't give me the worship songs I want. You know, you're not going to be the star every time. You know, there's, there's always going to be something something that doesn't go right. There's always going to be a volunteer that doesn't turn up. There's always going to be a machine that breaks down five minutes after it worked perfectly before. You know, there's always going to be something. And when those things happen, we must be careful. We must be vigilant not to let it become an opportunity for the evil one. You know, there was a point in my life now about 12, 13 years ago. When, uh, long story short, the vineyard was choosing a new national director and it came down to a friend of mine and me. Now you have to be out of your mind 
to volunteer for that job in the first place, to be the leader of a whole movement of churches, like it, it's nuts. You shouldn't, you don't want to like, that's not a job you want to aspire to because that just puts you higher on the target list, right? It's, it's a tough job. And, uh, but I felt like God had spoken to me that I should let them consider me as an option. I felt like I had a bunch of words from God and because otherwise I would have said, no way, do you think I'm nuts? So I, we, but Cindy and I, we really felt like God had spoken. So we, we went for it. And so we went through this whole process. And then when it came down to it, they chose the other guy who was my friend. They didn't choose me. And then, you know, there was one guy, one in the whole group, so like one out of 30, who said a few unkind things around that whole event. And of course, we were very confused because we thought we had heard from God and then it didn't go that way. And it was very painful at that point, you know, even though you, you kind of thought, it's nuts to want this thing, you still felt rejected, right? Um, and we, we felt that rejection very keenly. And I knew I was kind of like on a knife edge of the way I handle this could allow a better root to grow up in me or it could allow something different to happen. And I decided I, I'm not going to be like the people I've seen before. And I'd seen people in those situations, you know, because they didn't get picked. They were, they were out, you know, they got a better route. Like, I'm not, I'm taking my toys and I'm not going to play with you anymore. I said, that's, that's not going to be me. So I decided the best way to beat that is to make myself the greatest supporter and best friend of the guy that got picked. And so I did. And I determined that no one would ever hear a negative word out of my mouth about him or about how he was leading. And no one did. And he figured out that I was his best friend pretty soon because being in that spot, nobody else was. He started asking me for advice and then giving me special assignments. You know, could you do this for me? Could you do that for me? You know, it wasn't long. I was so thankful they picked him and not me because I was having a lot more fun than he was. And once we got to that point, I was in the clear. Do you understand what I mean? You see, I used a secret weapon to defeat the enemy's schemes right there. What was it? The weapon of humility. It's a powerful weapon, and our enemy doesn't understand it in the least. So if you're in that spot, that's the answer. All right. There's a second way, though, that the enemy attacks us, a second category of his schemes and this one is really tough because he will attack us through other people. Other people who are close to us. Matthew 16, verse 21. 
From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In that moment, Jesus recognized coming out of Peter's mouth the words of the enemy. Not Peter's words, the enemy's words. The enemy speaking against God's call on Jesus' life and God's plan. And I have seen this literally hundreds of times. Just when the new church or the new ministry or the new move, the new thing just gets started and starts to get momentum, somebody close to the key leader seems to get a kind of deception that causes them to attack the integrity and the motivation of that leader and spread to others a vile and subtle questioning of their character or gifting or their fitness to lead. And literally, they speak out of their own mouths the words of the enemy, and they don't even know it. They don't even know what they're doing. And this has destroyed many of my friends and pastors and leaders. One of our pastors, a young guy out in Virginia, I think this is about four or five years ago, all of a sudden quit. And like his church was doing great. Like they were like, it, it was like a really healthy, seemed like going church and all of a sudden he's quitting. And he wouldn't talk to me. And, uh, you know, he, he went back into business. I'm going to go do go back to business and make money. And uh, then, you know, about two years ago, he was back. And he's leading the church again. And I saw him at a conference. And I said, what happened? And he told me his story. And uh, he actually wrote out some of it. Now I'd like to read it for you. He says, a few years ago, our church was in an exciting time. We moved into a new building. Everything was growing. It was full of life. And then the unthinkable happened. Some of our best friends, people who we had even vacationed with, turned against us. We had to correct them about something and their behavior, and instead of repenting, they worked tirelessly to turn all of our leaders against us. Our vineyard overseers came in and gathered all the leaders that they had spoken to, and we spent four hours listening to them attack my character, my ministry, my marriage, and my trustworthiness. In that meeting, they accused me of being mean, of not listening, of building my church on the backs of volunteers, of not caring for people, of being a bad husband, and being abusive to my staff. As I sat and listened to twisting of truths, taking comments out of context, and projection of my evil intention, 
I felt like my soul was slowly shriveling and dying right there in my chair. To watch people that I had walked with so deeply turn on me was too much. And I told God that if this is what I get for giving up my entire life to pastor a church, then I want out. I will go make a bunch of money in the marketplace, and I did. However, God in all his loving mercy and grace saved me and my calling from myself. Random people, even on holiday in other states, I'm talking like waitresses in restaurants and people like that, would come up to him and say to him, you're supposed to be a pastor, aren't you? <laughs> like out of the blue. Again and again and again. Like he's Jonah running away from God. And he says, I was mad at God for doing that. <laughs> but I eventually knew he was right. I finally submitted and started pastoring again. And it has been some of the sweetest times of my life and my ministry Even in the ashes, God's grace is real and is sufficient. And for pastors and leaders who are thinking about quitting, don't. Jesus builds his church. We're simply stewards. Don't let stupid, broken people rob you of God's calling on your life. Conversely, if the enemy can't get you out of God's call on your life, whatever that might be, by having somebody close to you speak against you, he has one other kind of, he can flip that coin over and come against you with flattery and pride and have them speak to you words that your ministry will be bigger than everybody else's. You will be like something the world has never yet seen before. You know, um, I have seen many really good leaders fall for this one. You're going to lead your own movement. And they believed it. And then the next thing you know, they, they, their pride got ahead of them and they destroyed their church and they ended up leading nothing. These are the tools of our enemy. Somewhere along the line, somebody's going to speak against you if you do anything for God. But just be alert, and when, you, when, when, when it's God speaking, it's always very precise and very sharp and very, you need to change this. When it's from the evil one, it's like a, a, a big, dull bludgeon. You know, you are bad. You are wrong. You're not called. You're, you're a bad person kind of a thing. It's, it's got that flavor to it. That you should never accept our belief. Never, ever doubt the vision given to you by God. And never doubt in the darkness what you've seen in the light. If you haven't already, you have been touched by God in a significant way. When God showed you something for your life, when he spoke to you about your life, some of you, it's yet to happen, but it will happen somewhere along the line. And whatever that is, never doubt it down the line when the enemy comes to sow his doubt. Never doubt in the darkness what you've seen in the light. Lastly, he attacks us in our bodies. 
You know, early on, we had a young businessman sat down in my office and said, yep, we feel called to church plant. Seven days later, he was diagnosed with throat cancer. Immediately attacked by the evil one. One of our leaders in Vineyard USA, uh, a woman named Rose, who lives in the Northwest, was nearly killed by a demonic attack. She says in mid-February 2016, she was misdiagnosed with bronchitis. Now, she had been through a year of complete stress. There was a lot of difficulty and conflict in the, play, their, the, play, the ministry that she was leading. And it was discerned by many that there was a kind of assignment from evil. And it was a year of relentless pressure. And she started having panic attacks. Well, anyway, they thought it was bronchitis. They were treating like that. It went on for two months. Finally, she wasn't getting better. They finally did an echocardiogram and discovered that for two months she had been having a heart attack, untreated. The entire upper and bottom left chambers of her heart, she said, looked like the heart of someone dying from alcoholism. Her valves were leaking. The doctors actually couldn't believe that she had survived flying home from a holiday. And uh, so they did what they could, but they were very limited in what they were able to do for her. And when she left the hospital, her heart had an efficiency rate of 20%, which is just barely enough to keep you alive. Um, and they said, it will never be better than 30%, no matter how healthy you are, no matter all, you know, and if you don't ever work again and you don't lead again and you don't do anything else again, maybe you'll get it up to 30, but never better. So she was getting a lot of prayer and people were saying it's spiritual warfare. So she went to a vineyard conference in 2018 and she felt like the Lord told her to go up to this guy and ask him. She didn't know him. Ask that guy to pray for you. So she goes up to him, and she doesn't tell him what's wrong. She just says, you know, I need you to pray for me. You know, I'm, I've been having some significant heart problems. And as he prayed for her, she says, he began to touch a couple of places on her spine. And all of a sudden he said, oh, there it is, a spirit of death, you must go. And at that moment, she says, I doubled over and began to make a loud sound like groaning. And in my head, I was thinking, I'm on the floor of our national conference getting deliverance. <laughs> but I so wanted to be freed and healed, I just let my body respond to how the Lord was touching me. And he did it a second time and cast out a spirit of fear. These were spirits that were attacking her. They were not inside her, but they were attached to her, attacking her from the outside, causing her to be sick. Two weeks later, she went for her regularly scheduled echocardiogram, and to everybody's surprise, her heart efficiency was up to 55%, which they said could never happen. So my point is, Satan, if all else fails, will attack you physically. He'll attack you, your spouse, or your children. Okay, because it's a war, right? It's a war. So what do we do? Well, number one, 
there are three things I want to suggest. First of all, we've got to get serious about prayer, about intercession. Ephesians 6, 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. When we pray, we put up a hedge of protection around the people we're praying for. You need to pray for your leaders and their families and put a hedge of protection around them. You know, pray around your family and ask, you know, pray for their protection from the attacks of the evil one. Pray that God's work will go forward unhindered. You know, it's interesting. The Holy Spirit fell on a group of people in Germany, the Moravians. I think I might have talked to them about you here before, about 300 years ago. And they started a 24-hour-a-day prayer meeting. And that prayer meeting lasted for a century. And out of that grew, they sent missionaries, essentially, all over the world and had a tremendous impact, but it was supported by the prayer. I think many of our churches are trying to do more mission than they have the prayer base for. You need to have a base of prayer to support what you're trying to do. We need to rediscover the prayer meeting. And especially those of you who feel called to intercession, you need to start giving yourself to it with all you've got. We need a lot more prayer than we're getting because the prayer is preventative. You know, eventually, you know, when I first started doing lots of traveling, every time I went somewhere, something bad would happen at home. I mean, one time the ceiling fell down. You know, I called my wife, how's everybody doing? Oh, everybody's fine, but the ceiling fell down. What do you mean the ceiling fell down? Yeah, the the ceiling in the room fell down. It's like hanging halfway down in the room. Are you kidding me? The ceiling fell down. So we started like recruiting before every trip a bunch of intercessors to pray for our house and our car and our family and our kids so that the enemy couldn't attack us. And you know what? When we started doing that, it stopped. None of those things happened again. We've got to learn how to pray to prevent the enemy's schemes from ever even getting started. Where are the late night prayer meetings? Where is the fasting and groaning for God to pour out the spirit and empower the church? I think it's time for us to rediscover the prayer meeting. Number two, we need to be 100% committed to what I would call connected transparency. That is the commitment. If you're having any kind of trouble, you will tell somebody. You don't have to tell everybody. You just got to tell somebody who will pray and stop what's happening. We don't have to keep enduring these kinds of losses going forward. And then lastly, we need a renewed experience of the power and authority that we actually have in the Spirit. When you know that you have power and authority, when you know that you've been called by God, the enemy's lies don't have much of a chance. And that's what we need. And that's what we want to finish with. So let's put our stuff down. 
Put your notes and pens and everything else away. And let's just stand. And we're going to start by inviting the Spirit to come and releasing a new measure of power and authority. Now, here's the deal. A lot of times we have to help people receive from God. And one of the keys to receiving is to stop praying. When you're praying, you're giving. You need to receive right now, okay? There will be a time in the prayer meeting to pray and give. But now you need to receive. So no praying. I get to do all the praying. You get to receive, at least at the beginning. I'll ask some of you to pray for each other as we get going. But you have to be still. Be still and know that I'm God. Two, you got to like have a heart that's open to whatever God has. It really works better with God if you say yes, whatever you have for me ahead of time. He, then he's more free to give you whatever he's got for you. A lot of times we want to have God tell us so we can check it out and decide if we like it. That doesn't work so good. He wants a blank check. He wants to hear your yes ahead of time. So, yes, Lord, that works. And then we have to wait. So we're going to start. We're going to invite the Spirit to come. We're going to wait. And when he comes, there are different things he'll do with you. I'm going to pray for him to release power and authority on you. But some of you, he might jump ahead and bring healing, or he might empower you in very specific ways for certain kinds of giftings. He might reinforce some kind of call on your life. You know, he has a very personal agenda for each person that might happen as we wait upon him. 